Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 150 of the Double Density Podcast with your host, Brian Angelo. Double Density, your home to tech tales and paranormal primers. Now, first things first, Angelo, we made it to 150. Congratulations, virtual handshake. Enjoy all the handshake emojis I'm going to send you over the next week. Uh, how does it feel to be at 150? We've, uh, I feel like we've been at this a while now. What That's like three years now? Three, almost three and a half, Three and a half right? years, yeah. So 150, pretty good. We, uh, we used to do weekly. We slowed down to bi-weekly because we have lives. And then there's a pandemic that we're uh, working this through. And uh, we've still managed 150. Not bad. Yeah, I'm pretty happy that we're here. And uh, today will be an episode all uh, about a singular topic that we're both very, very interested in talking about, which is uh, the yeah the, the current times that we live in, in these like very, especially turbulent times. I guess turbulent would be like a, a sort of way to uh, underplay uh, all the different forces at hand here in 2020. So many things happening. 2020 has been a really weird year. And we chose a documentary to talk about tonight that actually encompasses both sides of what we usually talk about on the show. That's right. So we decided to uh, watch The Social Dilemma, which is a uh, documentary from Netflix directed by Jeff Orlowski. It's 94 minutes and it came out last month, I do believe, right? September. Yes, I'm losing track of all the weeks and months of my year now. It's just, it's awful. Everything goes by so quickly when... You hardly leave the house. Uh, and now we're uh, sort of in, in another quasi-lockdown over here, so we'll be leaving the house way less again. Well, that's the plan, right? Is staying in and consuming more and uh, more media, such as The Social Dilemma, right? Which ostensibly is about a uh, documentary all about, you know, social media usage and addiction. Um, I don't know where to start with this one because there's many different things we could cover. So firstly, I'd like to cover the fact that, like, a large number of talking heads in this movie are former... Uh, employees of places like Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram, et cetera, who have sort of seen the error in their collective ways, I guess, uh, not necessarily like in their in own individual job profiles, but, you know, what the company at large was, was aiming to do. Well, the main person that they talked to and who seems to have kind of started this whole idea is Tristan Harris. Yes. And he uh, is part of the the Humane company, right? Yeah, I would call him, I would, if I read his name, I would say Tristan, but he very clearly pronounced his name as Tristan. And uh, he did do some really cool stuff, though, that we'll talk about later. Yeah, so uh, so there's the the sort of like the the fact base thread, and then there's like this after school type of of other um, fictionalized narrative going on, all about how a uh, young youth gets radicalized, right? So the youth played by the Righteous Gemstones, uh, Skylar Gazando, right? He plays Gideon. I don't know if you've watched the Righteous Gemstones at all. No, but I really enjoyed him in the Santa Clarita Diet. Right. Okay. Yeah. So he uh, plays a teen who, um, you know, obsessively is addicted and then like kind of falls down the rabbit hole. And then uh, uh, a, a, the AIs, I guess, uh, are interpreted by uh, Batman's Vincent Cardhazer, uh, right? So there's three of them sort of like operating the different ways in which they're feeding him dopamine. Yeah. It's three weird personalities of an AI. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. So there's these two tracks going on. Um, so my first question to you is, do you feel like we needed that dramatization, that fictionalization um, of uh, the story of radicalization? When it first started and I saw that was going to be part of the documentary, I thought I was going to hate that part of it. But you know what? It kind of grew on me and I didn't really mind it too much. I like the actors that were in it. They were actually pretty good. And uh, it had some entertaining scenes, <laughs> like seeing what the tween daughter smash the 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 thing to get to her phone oh yeah the the glass case safe yeah uh, that was not much of a safe but let me ask you though uh, casting someone young there does that make sense given what we know about media literacy um in, in the western hemisphere 
Well, what do you mean? There's young people like that using phones and getting addicted to them. No, but I meant more in the radicalization kind of way, right? Because of the fact that like people who are uh, more uh, susceptible to falling prey to whatever algorithms are feeding them are tend to be older, right? Well, maybe because they don't realize it as much as somebody who's young, but there are young people that get uh, entwined in these things. I mean, you've seen some of the uh, the people that are involved in some of these racist rallies. They're pretty young, and they can fall prey to these uh, these traps, basically, of horrible rabbit holes that people fall into, YouTube being the, the one that mostly uh, does that. But in the depiction, in the dramatization, it was more of an Instagram type of social uh, media. Yeah, uh, I just I bring this point up because I listened to a podcast called The Content Minds, and one of the hosts on there, Ryan Broderick, um, uh, I do believe it was last week's episode because they they publish weekly, um, was talking about how he talked to his dad about his Facebook newsfeed, and his dad didn't understand that it was curated, right? That it, it was picked for him. He thought that everyone was seeing the same sort of content. That's really a common misconception among, I guess <laughs> I don't want to sound old, but I guess among people my age and and older where they think, no, well, the Facebook shows me the stuff I've subscribed to and that's it. But it's it's pretty much chosen. And we'll get to what Facebook uh, says they do later on. Yeah, I have that PDF open, my friend. Do not worry. Even younger people, a lot of them don't understand the technology they're using and they don't know how it works. Just because somebody's young doesn't necessarily mean they get technology as well as other young people that are really into it and understand what's going on. I think it's the inverse problem with with young people that uh, that older segments of the population have, whereas like you um, tend to have to take media literacy classes um, in high school uh, more and more, right? Um, and whether or not you decide to sort of uh, uh, pick those values that uh, are being described and then like uh, prescribe them to yourself or not are kind of up to you as a teenager. And as you know, teenagers' brains aren't fully formed until well after high school, right? So there's a little bit of narcissism going in there that, that it can't be me complex when you do um, go into classes like media literacy and understand that like, okay, well, this is applicable to other people. It's never applicable to me versus an older generation who had never necessarily had the chance and believes news to be empirical and not subjective, right? Well, you know, people in their 50s and 60s are used to picking up a newspaper and then choosing what they want to read and it's been curated by professional journalists. The problem with social media and some, a lot of the stuff you'll get uh, that'll get picked up by Facebook, it's just stuff that's on the internet that anybody could put out. And I've always said this: I liked it better when I didn't when I couldn't hear everybody's voice. Yeah, I am there these days now. I think I'm I'm very fatigued, especially in 2020. I know a lot of different people are, so I'm not necessarily going to talk about you know specifically the. Um, uh, flashpoint that we're living in right now. But I do feel some tiredness uh, in terms of the ability to sort of reach out and sort of uh, touch different communities in different ways um, and then sort of like be involved in a much larger discourse. Like back in the day, I we've talked about this before, but I was involved in message boards. And so message boards ostensibly were about um, one specific topic or a, a range of like related topics, right? So I, I very much enjoyed visiting those because I kind of knew what I was in for, right? So right now I visit one and that's about it, right? And I, I visit a music message board that is still alive in 2020, which is kind of amazing. But I know mostly, I'd say like 75 to 80% of the content there is music-based. The other uh, 25 to 30 is just shit talking. I didn't realize uh, Above Top Secret was a music uh, message board. 
I mean, I've dabbled in Above Top Secret, and I can just only imagine. I, so I actually have uh, visited Above Top Secret a couple of times in the last couple of weeks just to see what's going on. And of course, it is still the uh, same kind of flavor of uh, insanity, not based in any sort of like fact or, you know, any sort of like reliable narrative that I'd want to believe in. So that is still there and still longstanding, but it's still um, fringe, right? I remember a time when paranormal forums and above top secret more more about things like ufos and uh, more let's say paranormal things and i feel like conspiracy theories have just taken over everything now yeah i do agree that uh, we are now in the most paranoid times we've ever um, lived in in modernity right so i think it was kind of funny to look back at the 90s right so people like richard bells are putting out a book about conspiracy theories and then you know in 2020 we have everyone sort of like sharing uh what are clearly debunked um conspiracy theories but it doesn't really matter because everything is now taken at face value and no one investigates the uh facts or narratives or uh supposed evidence they're being they're being served up by a singular source right so i do think i a thousand percent agree with you that you know um in the i don't want to say in the glory days but in the more um heady days of the 90s looking at uh, esoteric kind of um different kinds of things like cryptids and and um extraterrestrials and things like that was more in line with what the fringe was doing versus now which is more tying in the political with the personal let's use 2020 as an example a few months ago the government literally came out and said, yeah, UFOs are a thing. And no one cared. No, yeah. I think it's because of this accelerated news cycle, right? It seems to be like more realistic things are trying to become part of the, the whole paranormal area. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's bled over into everything, right? So, you know, the saucer people are Trump's agents. Yeah, everything's now a mishmash and you can't tell what's actual news and what isn't. And what the social dilemma is trying to show is that these social networks are pushing this mess of fake news mixed with real news, mixed with legends and myths and stupid things. Yeah, and also for the point of monetization, right? I did find the depiction of the AI as three uh, sort of sleazy guys trying to pick on somebody a bit odd. Like the, the AI doesn't think that way, I don't no, think. No, not at all. And I kind of want to get into that in terms of bidding for ads, right, on Google. And that's, it is a snap second decision, right? It's measured in, in nanoseconds, right? Like how those things get, get thrown in your face. I don't, do you ever click on ads ever? No. Other than uh, by accidentally accident? Once. Whenever Google like re-ranks things or like accidentally places an ad at the top. Yeah. And um, I will say that I, I haven't been looking at Instagram on my phone anymore. I got rid of the app. I, I'm still part, I still have an Instagram account. I didn't go as far as deleting the Instagram account, but I was spending way too much time in Instagram on my phone. I don't know why. Instagram has this real pull to me. And I've uh, after watching that movie, I realized, you know what? I should delete this from my phone just to see how life turns out. And guess what? I'm totally fine. Like a week and a half in. Yeah, I totally believe you. Um, so you have an account that's there, but sort of like festering. Well, no, I, I will go look at it on the web. And guess what? The experience on the web, even though Instagram is not meant for it, is not bad. There's no ads that I can tell. I've never seen an ad yet. And uh, it's easier to scroll through things. And it's bigger. Right. Uh, so very quickly, before I forget, um, just in terms of bidding for ads, like you were saying, uh, it's very quickly what happens is that you set a, um, a sort of like ceiling for how much you would like to pay for uh, a real search term. Like, let's say we wanted to run ads 
on uh, Paranormal Podcast, right? So someone goes on Google, types in Paranormal Podcast. One of the ads that would appear could be our podcast um, if we decide we want to pay a uh, uh, cost per action, right? Or CPA. So that's a, a, a click that you uh, end up getting based on an action. And then there's a conversion, which is them visiting you. So uh, Google Ads automatically sets your bids up in a sort of like a nanosecond auction and figures out what top search term is going to be related. You you decide that, and then what happens is that you say, like, I want to pay $1.80 per click or whatever, right? So then what happens, of course, is that you uh, then put your bid in, and if you are the highest for that day, because everyone sets their their uh, bidding ceilings at different times, then you get your ad displayed. I've never understood how these ads work, to be quite honest with you, and it's it's a bit of a mystery to me, Some and a, and a mystery I don't really want to look into. Just basically what you said there, I guess I kind of had an idea that's that that's how it worked. And I remember seeing a CGP Grey video where he talked about ads and uh, how he he literally showed in his YouTube video how much money he made off that YouTube video. And for the amount of work he put into it and for the amount of views, it's really not that much money. I think he had like over a million views and it was just barely a few thousand dollars. But it depends on the product you're trying to sell, right? So if you are selling a high value product and you're, you know, for example, like a... Uh, I'm trying to think like a like a car or something, right? Yeah. If you're if you're if someone types in used cars Montreal, you want to be the top hit on there because uh, someone is probably interested in what you are selling and wants to give you um, thousands of dollars of money. Okay. So you're saying before it felt like magic or a mystery, but let us talk about the literal magic that was shown in the the documentary, which I I believe would be a high point in you. I uh, I thought it was kind of cool that he's uh, he's totally into magic. Yes, and he demonstrated the old sleight of hand coin trick. Yeah, that's the French drop. Oh, is that what, I have no idea what these are called. So you can definitely have the floor for the next 30 seconds explaining what that is. No, no, it was just, it was kind of fun. And he's, and it was actually a good point in that uh, they, they brought out the old Arthur C. Clarke quote that uh, technology is indistinguishable from magic. I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing there, but you know, in, in the 1900s, early 1900s, magicians were at the forefront of technology. Like that was cutting edge technology they were using to fool people. Now you can't do that anymore because cutting edge technology is not in the hands of just one inventor in, in like a workshop, right? It's, it's huge tech companies like the ones discussed in the social dilemma, but magicians used to fool their audiences because they were technologists. A lot of the, the most fooling things they saw that, you know, there was a whole area of magic that worked with automatons and that was fascinating to people. Yeah, the interesting concept behind magic, right, is just the idea of persuasion. Like you persuade someone to believe in the reality that you're presenting. It's the same thing with any number of, of social media networks, right? Like, for example, like you're, uh, there's a whole sort of like a, a moment where the AIs are trying to get the the Ben character to sort of like take an action on, on his phone, right? So they start f- flooding him with like different kinds of notifications from different apps trying to figure out what would get him there. And while that is definitely not how that works on a conceptual level, um, it largely is very true. You're just trying to persuade someone to take action on on your platform. Yeah, that, that was actually kind of confusing because y- your app doesn't decide when to start sending you random notifications really of people messaging you, does it? That's not how notifications work in practice. No, not not if someone messages you. But I mean, other kinds of notifications. I I've noticed um, Uber apps, uh, Uber Eats does that, right? So very interestingly, like you know, if you ordered, let's say on a Thursday lunchtime, twice in, in a row, the third week they'll definitely hit you up uh, on the third Thursday. Oh, yeah. Which is the whole point of this is just to drive people to sort of like be able to um, use the platform on the the their app of choice. It is sort of devious, right? A lot of these apps well, yeah, of course it is. basically want to be used 
And I recently cleaned up my phone from apps, right? Because once iOS 14 came in, I started playing around. And, and now there's that, um, I forgot what it's called, the app the app area. What is it called? The app like depository? The app library. The app library. <laughs> yes. yes, the book depository is cousin the app depository. <laughs> yes. I, was, I, kept, I kept getting confused why there's this Lee Harvey Oswald guy on the top of my uh, top <laughs> row of my, going off. my phone. It's weird. <laughs> Like I got rid of a lot of apps that I was not using. I had Uber in there for some reason. I don't. I never use Uber. I had Lyft in there. We can't even get Lyft. And I got those last year when we were in Florida. And I don't need them anymore, so I got rid of them. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff I, I kept in there that I thought was very useless. But if you're not using an app, don't keep it on your phone. It's just taking up space. But most people don't delete apps. That's literally what I've removed. Just strip them of any sort of like um, credit card information you have first, right? And then... Delete. Yeah, smart. Because that way uh, you don't really have to worry about um, trying to figure out, you know, uh, if you need to reinstall an app to sort of like go through all of that different things. If you get a message saying your credit card has been, you know, compromised or whatever. Yeah, well, another thing is to always use a different password. People who listen to this show should know my thoughts on passwords. Yeah, well, I'm using the same password for everything, admin1234, so come on down. The admin is, uh, the A and admin is capitalized, so go ahead, I'm letting you in, let's see where this goes. Um, yeah, this all leads to the idea of surveillance capitalism, so author Shoshana Zuboff, so I have begun reading her book very slowly over the past like month or so, even before, knowing that she was a part of this documentary, but the thing is, like, it's a very thick book, and it's a very um, academic full paragraphed pages kind of thing, right? So I'm consuming it like... At, a lot uh, of footnotes. Yes, I'm doing two or three pages at a time. Okay. So you feel like you're back in school? A little bit, but I enjoy that kind of stuff, right? So it's not just good for the podcast, it's also good for the brain. But I I very much um, I'm in line with the way that she's thinking about surveillance capitalism being very predatory, right? Because the idea is it's it, they're here to extract information from you, and that information, you are the commodity. Yeah, and they did actually address, you know, the point everybody thinks where their phone is listening to them. It's actually not, right? In terms of, I mean, it might be listening to from the government's point of view, but I'm talking about uh, Instagram isn't listening to you and they're not running that ad of the thing you just mentioned because they were listening to you. They use, like you were talking about, the algorithms to see what you're interested in and kind of know based on what you've been doing. And it's eerie how accurate it is. Yeah, of course. And I do think that a lot of times people don't realize that their search engine results tie into the ads that appear for them either. Yeah, no, I don't. My wife and I joke that we can't surprise each other with gifts anymore. Yeah, you should get like a burner account for everything. Surveillance capitalism, predatory behaviors, nothing is surprising anymore about any of this. I guess to you and I who spend a lot of our time thinking about these kinds of different things, and we have a podcast obsessively about this. So to me, nothing in this documentary was a surprise. I felt it was a little ham-fisted in the way that they sort of like reach the point. And I kind of get that they want to sort of like highlight the narrative that a lot of these um, platforms have done wrong. And now they are distance, distancing themselves from that and realizing the error of their ways. I don't know. How do you feel about the, the, the whole idea of like y- you yourself being commodified? Well, I don't like it. And that's why I've gotten rid of a lot of these social networks. I'm, I'm, I'm mostly, I'll go on Twitter every once in a while, but it, I, Twitter is only available to me on my Mac, which is now in my basement. So I'm hardly ever on Twitter. Um, Instagram, I could look at it on my iPad, but only on the web. But I, I try to stay away from these things because uh, Facebook is, is a cesspool, really. Uh, even if it's curated for your own enjoyment, it kind of seems to bring out the worst. And like I said before, I don't want to know what a lot of people think because oftentimes they're wrong. 
That is very true. Um, I am back on Facebook, and the only reason I haven't deleted it, actually, is because I've recently, not so recently, I mean, in the last couple of years, I've uh, uh, sort of, like, rediscovered my love of comic books, and there are several um, comic book groups on there that I visit, and uh, you're not allowed any sort of, like, off-topic conversations, so that actually works out quite well for me, but apart from that, I do agree that uh, the number of, like, quote-unquote hot takes I've seen uh, on that platform uh, from uninformed people, because I used to spend my time, like, 10 years ago correcting them, right? And now it's just, Mm. it's not even worth it anymore. No, it's not. It's not, kind of fatigued and, by it all. And even then on Twitter, like, you know, a uh, 20 year old me would definitely be trolling and picking fights all day, but it's not worth it anymore. No. And I, you know, we'll, we'll send each other some hot take twi- uh, twits, <laughs> twits. They are twits, but we'll, we'll send each other some hot take twi- tweets every once in a while. Tweets from twits. That are really, it, it's unbelievable. These people have a platform to talk. And when you look at them, some of them have blue check marks next to their heads. Yeah, I mean, uh, everyone's voice can be heard, so therefore no one's voice should be heard, right? Exactly. Well, the one I sent you today, I don't remember who it was from, but she was talking, making it sound like it's a conspiracy that it seems to be only Republicans getting COVID and not Democrats. Yeah, I wonder why that is, Angelo. Could it be that perhaps the wearing of a mask it's targeted, uh, kind of helps? Yeah. But I mean, like, you, it comes back to your point about conspiracy culture sort of like uh, living in, in these times at, and thriving, right? Not just living, but thriving now. Well, we, we've said it before, but it doesn't help when leaders of countries are throwing out conspiracies as well. Yeah, and that unfortunately is uh, not a surprise. When you want uh, to sort of like gain people's attention, it's much easier to lead with mystery and intrigue. The film kind of highlighted a lot of different issues. And I feel like the um, one of the bigger ones, I think, is one of the talking heads says he's addicted to email, right? So... The idea that you're getting hundreds of emails a day, but the problem itself is, isn't the tech, it's societal, right? Why is he getting so many emails per day that he feels that he needs to respond to, especially job-related ones? Yeah, I was, uh, I was listening to uh, the talk show with John Gruber this week when he was talking about uh, app developers and how there's a lot of uh, indie app developers. And uh, there's been a lot of talk about that, in, uh, especially in Apple world, because uh, Apple's kind of crummy with the way they run the app store. And uh, there was uh, an app developer who he didn't name, but he was uh, talking about how he had been asked, you know, when he goes on vacation and comes back after two weeks, how does he deal with all the support emails he gets? Because he's just one guy creating this one app. And he says, it's really easy. I press command A and then I press delete. <laughs> yeah i mean that is one way of, of handling um different kinds of things but i i do feel when your digital identity is so closely tied to who you are as a person and once again this comes back to the issue of free market capitalism right because the idea is that the market regulates itself and of course we're going to live in a utopia that forever and ever shall be clean of all of these different issues right mm-hmm. perfect the sad thing is when you are forced and i think everyone is to a certain level when you are forced to tie your digital presence to your um, uh, duties in a job, then it becomes very sort of like uh, intertwined and you forget how to live as a human being, right? Which is why, um, well, teens thrive about things like the social sphere of things, right? There's this whole other kind of level. And I think the two are conflated during the documentary as like one. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I think maybe now's a good time to start getting into the the more conspiratorial part of of the documentary. What do you think? Yeah, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's, we can go ahead and take a walk over. Yeah, well, because you're talking about identity and stuff, and, and the teen in this identity, he starts 
getting involved in uh, what is called the Extreme Center, which is obviously not a real thing. I Did you look it up, Ryan, the Extreme Center? <laughs> no, because it is clearly not a real thing. They just had to figure out some kind of group that falls in the middle. Yeah, and it's it's totally ridiculous, right? It's, it's a group that's uh, basically spouting that you shouldn't vote for anybody. You should just leave it be. And the, we're the extreme center. We don't agree with anybody, which is not the way center politics works, but that's what this group takes, uh, takes into consideration. And you see what he's like probably 16, right? Yeah. He becomes obsessed with what these, this algorithm made up of three guys from Mad Men telling him what to do. Yeah. And I, uh, do you feel like that's an accurate portrayal of how extremism works? I I felt that the way someone falls down a rabbit hole because of the way an algorithm throws ideas at them was sort of uh, accurate, right? Like if you start looking at, uh, well, they mentioned this in the in the movie, right? If you start looking at flat Earth stuff, well, guess what? YouTube's going to start throwing more flat Earth stuff at you. Yeah, it kind of caters to your uh, interests already at hand, right? So, for example, like, um, I feel like my ecosystem is very small because of the number I I am, you know, subscribed to dozens of channels, and yet the the only sort of, like, related stuff I see is more content from the same channels. Yeah, so look, if I go look at YouTube right now, okay, uh, let me click onto YouTube. The thing is, my kids use my YouTube channel, uh, my YouTube channel, uh, my kids use my YouTube account, but they only are allowed to watch three... Basically, they watch two channels, Nintendo's official channel and Zebra Gamer, which is, uh, so. so And the Young Turks. Yeah, exactly. And the Joe Rogan podcast. Oh yeah, perfect. But if I go look right now at YouTube, there's a, I get annoyed because it's always throwing breaking news at me, which I'm not interested in. But apart from that, there's a Nintendo thing talking about the new Smash Brothers uh, characters. There's one, two, three, four magic uh, clips of uh, either products or things. There is a Logic Pro tips, a review of a uh, sound library, and a music video by Courage My Love, which is a band I like. And also a an, an 8-bit music theory video talking about the music theory behind a Paper Mario Origami King. So how do you feel about those recommendations? Those are perfect. They're all things I would watch or my kids would watch. Right? These those, But for me... I only watch the channels I watch, right? I don't usually fall down rabbit holes. Same. And I think that is both punishing and rewarding to me because a lot of the time I, I literally get the, the related videos are just videos from similar YouTubers whom I already subscribe to. So it's kind of hard to feel like I'm being served up new interesting viewpoints and content when I know I'm being given what I'm supposed to already uh, enjoy, right? Because once again, the algorithm is at play. It's showing me. And when we talk about the algorithm, we're not talking about like one monolithic algorithm here. Like every single platform has a myriad number of them working. Yeah, they had um, they had the guy who created uh, an early version of the YouTube algorithm. Yeah, and also this. the guy who was the inventor of Facebook likes. Now, what do you think of the Facebook like thing? Because now that's everywhere, right? Like you like everything now. There's a thumbs up for everything. I'm fine with it, I guess. I don't even know what to say uh, anymore about what anything means in the digital realm when it comes to social media anymore. I just, uh, it exists. Do you remember when you used to star rate things on Netflix? Yeah, well, let, let us talk about that for a sec, which I find very interesting, right? So a documentary about algorithms is served up to you by an algorithm, right? And a very accurate algorithm. I think, I feel like Netflix's algorithm is one of the most accurate. It's very rare where something will be 90% or more matched to me and I won't like it. It's happened, but it's pretty rare. 
Right. So you live in your own ecosphere of things that you enjoy. Do you ever um, uh, search things out anymore? Because I feel like this is another conversation to have, especially with extremism, right? So the idea that uh, you believe in, a, in conspiracy X or, you know, conspiracy Q, let's say, right? As a conspiracy Q, you watch one video, you watch two videos, you fall down the rabbit hole, but you're not looking for any sort of counter arguments to that. And I think that is, once again, a lack of media literacy or a lack of desire or feeling almost like it is um, like a, you know, a sort of like religious quest you're on to sort of uncover the truth with a capital T. But we're all biased in our own way. I mean, we're biased in the way that's correct and there's people that are biased in the way that's wrong. <laughs> How many people with like very, very uh, different points of view are you uh, following on um, on Twitter? Mm, very few, if any. Yeah, see, there you go. So, for example, like, I follow, uh, of course, Alpha Male Ben Shapiro on there. How's he? He is not, he's having a day. Also, I follow uh, Paul Joseph Watson, guy, the Prison Planet guy, who uh, was affiliated with Alex Jones for a while. Okay. So, yeah, it's uh, one of the ideas uh, in my head is that I should be following differing points of view to sort of understand where the brain and mindset is out of a lot of different people who don't share my viewpoints in life. And well, I'll end up at them because I'll click on something on a tweet and then I'll look at the, the, the replies. And, and do you feel like that's a mistake sometimes? Cause I feel like I'm, I've made that mistake and it's just, Oh, every single day of my life. It makes me crazy. Especially when I look every, everything surrounding this, this damn pandemic. Anytime I look at something that's posted by like for us, it's the Quebec government, right? Like that's the most interesting thing for us because that's where we live and we're having a hard time with this thing here. And then I see the replies and as much as I'll agree with certain things the government does or disagree with certain things, they're screwed no matter what they do. Yeah. I, yes. No one's ever happy in the digital realm. And we've talked about this before on, on the podcast about no one ever being happy with what they see. Right. So it's kind of a question of like how much comfort and how much peace are you willing to make with what is being presented in front of you on the screen? Right. Like right now, the, there's a surge in cases and the government in a, in an effort to try and keep schools open, which are with I'm in agreement with, I, I want to try and keep our schools open as long as possible. The problem is, is everything that happens outside the schools, then they go in the schools, right? So now they're just shutting down pretty much everything so they can try and keep the schools open, which I don't, I'm not convinced they're going to be able to do it for much longer, but I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, uh, on my end of things, I cover social media as part of some of my job duties, and we have some uh, very topical ads out there, and I see some wild comments, like the one I showed you yesterday, I think, about how someone said that uh, wearing a mask is like being a Karen because uh, I'm forcing you to care about my health. Yeah, the, the mask thing, at least that's one thing where our government turned around completely and came came to their senses because at the beginning they were very much, we don't need masks, it's totally fine. Um, but uh, now they realize, no, that was wrong. And they're, they're, look, they're trying, the best part now, obviously a lot of people who listen to the show don't follow what's happening in Quebec, but the best part is that now masks are required at any sort of protest because they don't want to limit protests, right? They don't, they want to allow people to be able to protest, but all protests re, uh, require people to wear masks now, which is fine for most protesters, right? Like if they want to protest, and I've seen a lot of the protests, especially the ones I agree with, uh, wearing masks because they're they're the smart people that I agree with because uh, I'm not yeah, they're responsibly out there. But I, I discussed this with you the other day in that uh, Quebec has a very interesting, distinct culture in which we have, um, um, uh, you know, protests about not wearing a mask 
And that's, that's, uh, that's the best part, right? And so the best thing about this, though, or the worst thing is the conspiracy angle of it all is that it is found that a lot of the organization and funding has been coming from far right sources in Quebec who are also very racist, like La Merde, right? Who are just white supremacists um, and unabashedly proud of that. So it's yes. this very interesting link between uh, freedom and white supremacy in Quebec specifically. Well, yeah. And well, you see that in the US as well, where it seems to me that most of the anti-maskers seem to be part of these more fringe radical right groups. And is what's the connection there? Why do these radical groups latch onto something as weird as a conspiracy about masks? It gives them power. Okay. It gives them a sense of power, right? It gives them a sense to of rebelling because the thing is like we've all been so uh, brain poisoned by what we see, by what our algorithms send to us that I think that like um, you more than ever get to see the thoughts inside of someone else's head, right? So at any other given time, unless you're a public figure, and I'm going to talk about that in a bit. But before this era, you weren't privy to a lot of like different kinds of ways in which people um, thought in no. such a, a naked kind of way. No, and that's what we said earlier where I liked it better when I couldn't hear everybody's voice. Uh, we had the voices of professionals. But you also had the choice of like going to look for those voices. Like, for example, you talked about Above Top Secret before, but the idea of going to log on to Above Top Secret is a an active choice. Yes, you made that choice to go there. You weren't served up an ad by Facebook. Um, who's the guy? I can't remember his name. You and TJ talked about him on the show. I was talking about Bill Cooper. Yes, Bill Cooper, right? Like, you had to seek out his crazy book. Or, or listen to him on the radio, right? Or the shortwave, depending on where he was. Yeah, that but well, speaking of that, I I heard Alex Jones uh, on uh, shortwave frequency when I was on uh, you know uh, during my time away last week, which was just of course so fitting to to sort of hear his voice booming out, of course, with his usual interesting style of engagement with reality. Is he anti-mask? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. One of the last videos to watch him go viral uh, over a couple of minutes ago was him yelling at a lifeguard about wearing a mask. But he he'll wear a tinfoil hat. Yes, and also I showed you that video of him attacking a drone, um, calling out Jeff Bezos' name in a sort of incantation with a samurai sword. Yes, he's, he's an odd man, but it, we, we've always discussed, is this theater or is he unhinged? I think it's becoming more and more clear that he is, uh, he's, he's sort of lost in the character, right? Like uh, Jim Carrey, Andy Kaufman, kind of the same thing where, did you watch that, uh, uh, the documentary? No, I, I watched the movie, but I, yeah, the, there is a documentary about a man in the moon, right? Yeah, well, this was made a couple of years ago or two years ago, I think. And it uh, also it highlights, fittingly, also a Netflix documentary. Yes. And it kind of highlights the, the Jim Carrey very starkly says, listen, like I, when I was doing Man on the Moon, I became a character and I lived through it and it's never left me. Wow. So I do feel like there's a certain amount of that going through Alex Jones's brain right now. If he has any shred of normalcy left to him, I'm not quite sure where he's at these days. So now let, let's come out of the, the whole conspiracy side of things and go back to where uh, Facebook is thinking this whole thing is a conspiracy in itself. Well, I kind of wanted to mention one last thing before. I oh, please go is, ahead. Sorry, yeah, Brian. So talking about, yeah. I so totally about like, missed my uh, segue cue there. I know, I know, but we can come back to that in a sec. But, uh, you know, talking about Bill Cooper, right? Behold a pale horse. You had to sort of like either uh, seek these out or like in the instance of Coast to Coast AM, you had to stay up late and sort of access these kinds of things. Whereas now in a town square style social media app, like app or platform, this kind of thing is just readily served to you 24 hours a day. You don't have to, it's not appointment viewing, right? Yeah. Well, okay. So speaking of appointment viewing and talk radio, you just brought something to my mind. 
I, uh, on Wednesday nights, I've been driving my daughter to ballet, uh, very responsibly socially distanced ballet classes. Uh, it's, it's like the military when they go there, they get, uh, they, they have to disinfect on the way up. They have to disinfect on the way down. They have to wear their masks as they go into class. And then, uh, everything is disinfected in there. Anyway, that's besides the point, but on the way there, if you're about to tell me that you make your daughter listen to Alex Jones, I'm going to love this. No, but we on the way there, I listened to uh, a local talk radio station, the the something side. I can't remember what it's called. It's John Paul. The night side. The night side with John Paul. Is that his name? Yeah, P-O-L-E-S. Okay. Oh, a lot of weirdos call into that, right? It's like it's it's the people that seem to be calling into these talk radio shows, at least these local ones, are um, they have nothing better to do. Question, are, do these seem older? Do they, like, so for example, like, is the target demo of this, like, purely landlines? It, yeah, uh, it's landlines, yeah. And it's, it seems to be, uh, it has a more uh, right of center bent, I think. Uh, and, but, are, but are you reading more into that than, maybe, than what yeah. it actually is? It's just the people that are calling in are, they, is it, they sound lonely sometimes. They sound uh, a little off. And the host, to his credit, tr- tries to be very nice with them. And when he realizes the person's a bit of a of an oddball, he'll be like, "Well, thanks for your call." And uh, and then he keeps going forward. And he and he says nice things about. Them. He was never really, from what I've heard, he's never really mean to the people yeah. he's talking to. But have you ever listened to it? Uh, a couple of times. I mean, I haven't really paid that much attention to it. It's always background noise for me. Yeah, it's it's honestly, it's for ten minutes as I drive to the ballet school, and then ten minutes on the way back, and then ten more minutes on the way there. But this kind of a conspiratorial, conspiratorial kind of thinking is, isn't new, right? So, for example, like I recently just bought a book by a man named Brian Rosenwald called Talk Radio is America about how talk radio and that sort of culture infiltrated um, the Republican Party starting in the 80s. And so I do feel like, um, you know, uh, tenuous facts and miscommunication and um, sort of like, uh, once again, like very predatory behaviors, not necessarily on just the side of AI, but the way in which people persuade others to believe in a certain mindset using um, in the interpretation of certain facts has existed for so long. Now it's just, I think it's out in the open and because it's so easy to buy in. Once again, it's active versus passive. Well, I mean, Rush Limbaugh is still a big thing and he's still radio, right? Right. So that's kind of the, the beginning of the book is, is talking about um, that in the, in the mid 80s and onwards. He's not one to be saying a lot of truthful things, is he? No, definitely not. And I mean, he's had a number of lawsuits against him, right? So uh, that's kind of... Not a surprise, unfortunately, but yeah, I do feel like the the big problem is that a lot of these problems are societal. They're not necessarily just tech-related. They are societal. It's just now we have so much like connectivity to each other that it's hard to deny a lot of what's happening. And I think a lot of different conspiracy theories were entertained, but people didn't want to entertain them very seriously because they felt like they were alone in this. And now they're able to reach out to communities and very easily find them passively, not actively, right? Yeah, well, look, just look at that, um, that Flat Earther documentary I forced you to watch those people are a group that they found each other and they're very connected and they seem very tight knit. I wonder how the flat earthers feel about um, Quebec's idea of like flattening the curve when it comes to, uh, when it comes to, to COVID-19, right. To sort of like make sure that our numbers go down. Well, I mean, we, we have to use a gyroscope to determine if the earth is actually flat. When it gives us the information that we don't want to hear, we'll just say it's broken. It's broken. Yeah. This $20,000 piece of equipment is of course, broken. But yeah, I, I do think that it has less to do with the tech and more so with the ability to connect with each other. And I'm not talking about like literally connect with each other, but I'm talking about like sort of like societally how we interact, right? So yes, while these platforms do it, I don't necessarily think it's calling these platforms 
out that is sort of like the the end all be all. I think it's it's honestly like it's a lot of media literacy and sort of like understanding and making people aware that they need to sort of get a second sort of like opinion on things, you know, go find, uh, you know, uh, contrasting facts and articles that uh, in, inside of articles that state a, a feeling or in a position that is contrary to yours and sort of like working through that. Yeah. And uh, I feel this is a perfect segue. Uh, Facebook has a second opinion on the do- social do- uh, dilemma. Yeah, so Facebook today released a, a document called a, I think it's a two-page document. Yep, two pages. And it's called What the Social Dilemma Gets Wrong. Oh boy. Uh, I, I literally laughed out loud at a few of these points that they These like This is like classic 1984 speak. So there's seven points, right? So yes. let's start with the first one, which is addiction, right? So yeah. uh, Facebook claims, um, and this is the heading of that uh, topic, Facebook builds its products to create value, not to be addictive. That's sort of weird when you look at number two, as in it says, you are not the product. Facebook is funded by advertising so that it remains free for people. Once again, number one and two are very much intertwined. In order to make money, you need people to be on your platform. Yeah, and uh, you're not the product. Yeah, we there's a there's a saying in tech when something's free, it's not actually free, right? Yeah, Apple charges me for a lot of stuff, but they don't really want anything in return other than my money. They take my money and they shut up about it. Uh, Facebook doesn't take any of my money, but they take all my data. Yeah, and well, we'll talk about that in a bit too. But so the idea of addiction, right? So in order to get people on the platform to continue having those those um, bids happen, right on on the Facebook platform, you need users. Yeah, look, we're we're both right now. We're both in a Google Doc, right, which is free, and Google takes our data. But I don't know what it is about it, but I don't feel as gross using Google as I would using Facebook. Like I would never use uh, a Facebook Docs, right? No, I mean like the 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 Cambridge Analytica stuff sort of like laid that bare too, right? Right. Google's not perfect; they're far from it. But I'll look. There's that that whole hierarchy of trust we have with our tech companies, and at the top are companies like uh, Apple and Microsoft, and you know, and then towards the middle, there's something like Google. And Amazon, and then way at the bottom are places like Facebook, right? Do you remember in the '90s when, like, the biggest thing in tech and the biggest argument was about antitrust stuff vis-a-vis Microsoft? And now we've kind of like plunged all the way down to here. I know Microsoft's like the the like the scrappy underdog now. Yeah, it's funny because so point number one is addiction. Facebook builds its products to create value, not to be addictive. But they don't actually highlight how they create value in in the talk. And then they also put the onus on the person. We want people to control how they use their products, which is why we provide time management tools like an activity dashboard, a daily reminder, and ways to limit notifications. Yeah, and people don't have to use those things. No, exactly. Most so, I, yes. I don't know if I'm weird, but I have very few notifications that come through on my phone. Well, well that's something we'll talk about at the end. Okay. So, but so number two, you are not the product. Facebook is fun about advertising, so it remains that that is weird doublespeak. You are not the product, yet you have to be the product in order to attract advertisers. Yeah, <laughs> you you are very much the product with Facebook. You're you are a user. Like they even use like drug terms. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number three is algorithms. Facebook's algorithm is not quote unquote mad. It keeps the pl- the platform relevant and useful. So it lists off. Uh, algorithms like in any dating app amazon uber and countless other consumer facing apps a consumer facing app facebook interesting yeah they they, um they call it netflix itself which uses an algorithm to determine who thinks it should watch the social dilemma film algorithms and machine learning i'm quoting here improve our services for example at facebook we use them to show content that's more relevant to what people are interested in whether it's posts from friends or ads 
What's interesting about that, of course, is uh, they don't mention the idea of groups and pages, which also is where the the bulk of a lot of this misinformation comes from. Mm-hmm. So the issue, once again, is the content. It isn't the framework in which the content is is presented, right? Because they're saying, hey, like, you know, like you, we pick what you're, you like to see based on your friends. But a lot of these people, of course, make friends on pages and groups and are very, very slow to um, take down a lot of the sort of like fringe stuff um, as you and I are both aware. Oh, yeah. Number four, data. Facebook has made improvements across the company to protect people's privacy. Well, I hope so after so many blunders, right? And so this is one of the points I want to make that I was kind of saving for my summation of this entire thing. But I've said this a couple of times. Lie. Lie on your Facebook profile. Use a VPN. Uh, Muddy the waters with who you are. So that way Facebook has less of a clear idea of who you are and therefore um, creates a bigger problem and uh, doesn't allow them to access your true energy. Brian, do you think the stuff that they were showing about how how they know how long you're spending on certain images, on certain posts. Is is that accurate? It is absolutely a thousand percent accurate, yes. Okay. So for example, like I, I think this is how it works in Medium, right? So if you visit uh, medium.com and you read an article, the usually the highlighted portion is the one that people spend the most time reading. Okay. Okay. And they don't it's not literally highlighted by people like what you see in a Kindle book. No, I'd have to look that up. And I do believe I could be wrong about this, and we'll put something in the show notes as to whether or not I am, but I, I do believe that certain sites uh, measure um, the most interesting things based on that. And once again, that's all just SEO, right? So, so uh, like the idea of what people's eyes fall on the most. Yeah. Okay. So it 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 is uh, pretty accurate. Absolutely, a thousand percent. Yes. So whenever, so like that's why Instagram loves showing me pictures of of cats doing stupid things is because I'll dwell on pictures of cats doing stupid things. Exactly. So okay. number five, polarization. We take steps to reduce content that could drive polarization. Uh, doing that too slowly. Good luck with that. Yeah. Number six, elections. Facebook has made investments to protect the integrity of elections. So once again, number numbers four, five, and six are all due to past errors that Facebook has. Um, had occur and is spearheading them. So for example, like uh, today is Friday, October 2nd. And (laughs) here's the dumb thing. Twitter will ban your account. If you say that you hope president Donald Trump dies, Facebook will, will not ban your account for the same unless you explicitly tag the Donald Trump page. Oh, and uh, so they talk about, uh, uh, I can't believe, I don't remember which point it is. Oh, it's the last one. But uh, this is all tied into six and seven. So seven is misinformation. We fight fake news, misinformation, and harmful content using a global network of fact-checking partners. Some of these fact-checking partners are very, very problematic. So uh, one of the funny things is they talk about their fact-checking partners. Do you know one of their most popular ones, Angelo, is, is Breitbart? Really? Yes. So Facebook has partnered up with Breitbart, right? Because, of course, they want to play the all sides are equal part. But they're not. That side is I wrong. <laughs> like, I totally know. wrong. I know. And that's one of the issues at hand is, you know, you call someone a fact-checking partner, but really, you're just placating a lot of different sides in a political battle, right? Yeah, it's it's like Fox News saying they're fair and balanced. Yes. So, six, elections, before I forget, Facebook has made investments. Yes, of course, because of the fact that in 2016, you really screwed up uh, the U.S. elections, and you can't, like, the Brazilian elections uh, of yesteryear, like, there's so many instances in which uh, they were implicated in governmental fights well a lot of countries have people literally just working on facebook to yeah get their, there are facebook farms get their propaganda out there absolutely right i mean like uh, most famously of course is russia oh yeah uh, but a lot of these are just highlighting a lot of like what facebook has done wrong without actually saying like we've done this wrong and we're working on this it's actually like a, it's listed as a fake complete right it's there's not much we can do about it right about what facebook is outlined now no there's there's facebook is so powerful at this point and they're, you know, they were talking about in the movie how there's in certain countries, people 
refer to f- the internet and they just mean Facebook. Yeah, well, same thing in Africa. For In different parts of Africa, depending on where you are, if you get a mobile device that is supplied to you by Facebook, Facebook is the only site that works on the internet on so your phone. That's that is what you think of as the internet. Correct. And so you think that the internet is uh, different people spending different kind of crazy you know, non-fact-checked things and you accept those as reality because the thing, it, it was so funny. So coming back to the content minds when one of the hosts was talking about his, his dad's sort of like odyssey through Facebook and the realization that this isn't empirical, this isn't the same thing as, uh, you know, uh, a, a team of people getting together and deciding what's best uh, to editorialize and where to place what. It's actually just a bunch of, of garbage being sent to you through the garbage chute. It is garbage most of the time. And I sometimes I get looks when I say oh, I'm not on Facebook, when people say, "Oh, you can uh, you can check our, our website," uh, our website, but what they mean by website is our page on Facebook. But I, I really can't do anything with it because I don't have a Facebook account, and I'm not creating one. So, Angelo, let us get to the end of this. Right? Um, what did you think of the documentary? Do you think it had a good message? Do you think a lot of the solutions they proposed towards the end um, of the documentary uh, are worthwhile? I like what Tristan Harris and his his uh, Center for Humane Technology is a good idea. Uh, it's very pie in the sky and very uh, idealistic too, but I, I liked him in the documentary. But will we be able to ever achieve that? Do I feel he's, he's a little alarmist? Uh, maybe, but we kind of have to be with these certain things. But I also don't want to be like those articles, right, that you read and it sounds like they're talking about cell phones, but they're actually talking about the novel right? Or the newspaper or uh, the car, right? Right. Uh, I I listened to a podcast called The Pessimist's Archive and they talk about things that we we thought were going to be the end of the world, but really weren't. And now we accept as normal things like how uh, the Walkman was going to destroy society because kids were going to start walking out into the middle of the street because they couldn't hear the cars around them and die, right? Which clearly Uh, happened. Yes, that I mean that I'm sure that happened once or twice, but uh, it's not something that happens every day, right? Because everybody has headphones now. Or uh, did you know the fun fact is that when people would come by in a car, people would yell at them and tell them to get horses instead. Yes. So, um, but no, I, I like the his idea, and the the documentary did prompt me, like I said, to delete Instagram because I felt I was using that app way too much. And it would always ruin the result of the F1 race for me because I usually watch the race <laughs> after it airs and I would always end up seeing uh, Lewis Hamilton's smiling face saying he won again, which uh, is usually more often than not what happens, but still, uh, I, I prefer to not know who won the race. I think one of the downsides of the documentary, I, it, it is very singularly minor, right? Like, and I, I would say it's an activist documentary, wouldn't you say? Most documentaries have a bias, right? It's very rare you'll come across a documentary where it's something that you may enjoy it and you may you, it may agree with your point of view, but it does have a skewed point of view. Hey, you take that back about Ken Burns's baseball. Yeah, or you know, stuff by Michael Moore. It's always it's never one-sided. No, exactly. So, with that in mind, I do feel like the the onus a lot of the sort of like practical suggestions uh place the onus on the user and not the the their the larger sort of like structural issues, right? So the idea of like removing badges and notifications from your phone, sure, that's fine. But the thing is, you're just going to check those apps at a regular interval anyways. Yeah, for sure. Um, Although I will say I don't have many notifications that come on my phone and it does help because um, badges stress me out. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't, if I look at my phone, I have no idea how many emails I have. I don't get notifications for emails. I'll check my email when I check my email and that's it. 
right? Yeah. Um, I, on the other hand, I, so yeah, the only badges I'm rocking right now are um, text messages, phone calls, emails, and WhatsApp messages because I have a couple of groups there that I, for whatever reason, they don't want to text, right? So. Okay. So I have, I only have my phone will obviously <laughs> let me know that it's ringing, which is pretty rare anyway. And uh, text messages, that's it. I have no other notifications really that come up. I mean, I'll I'll have stuff go to my lock screen or or my notification center so that I can tell. A lot of stuff goes to my watch too, right? Like a text message usually doesn't ding on my phone, it dings on my watch. Yeah, and what you uh, say, uh, your stock answer to me is great whenever I text you. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's towards the top I know, of my I know watch. you're out and about when you answer me with great. Yeah, yeah, you know I'm on my my uh, on my Apple Watch replying to you when it's a one word answer. Yeah, exactly. It's usually the word "great," which makes me laugh so hard because, like, I'll I'll send something longish to you, and you'll just answer with "great." The next time, I'll 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 message you uh, something saying that I'm in a meeting or something like that. Yeah, yeah, like be more blunt. Like, yeah, nine p.m. meeting. Do that. Yeah, I'm in a meeting, but it's six a.m. <laughs> I so I want to take things one step further. I want to suggest, as I was saying before, to tell you know, uh, dirty up your digital identity. Yeah, like you were saying, so make yourself uh, like incognito. Yeah, or just click on random shit and look up things that have nothing to do with you to sort of confuse Facebook, because at one point, Facebook doesn't know what to serve you. So, for example, I have a uh, Facebook profile just for work stuff for for handling um, Facebook pages, and uh, they're always trying to serve me the weirdest stuff. Like what? Just like, like for example, like a, 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 are you in the market for a boat? And I never looked up boats on my, on my work computer or anything. Have right? you been talking about boats because that's how they get you? No, no. But you know, for, I do think that muddying up your digital identity is the only way to go in terms of it. If you are the end product, if you are the sort of the commodity that is being sold, devalue yourself by like outright lying about what you're up to yeah. and who you are and what you like. So just do like George Costanza, which is, this is the second episode we mentioned him. But do the opposite of what you think you're going to do. Exactly. Costanza. Yeah. Yeah. I, so that is my... So two things, right? So dirty up your digital identity and uh, B-A-B, Angelo. Be right back? What? B-A-B, not B-R-B. What's bring B-A-B? aliens back. Let's bring more alien discourse that is not tied to the New York Times back into the forefront. That would be really great. More aliens because uh, I don't want to hear about uh, fake masks anymore. I agree. Angela, this has been a supersized episode of Double Density. Uh, the longest I think we've done on one topic in a long time. How do you feel about this? What do you envision for the next 150 episodes? More talk about aliens. That's what yes, we need. I actually aliens. have something in mind that I want to share with you once I put it together this weekend about just that for October. Yeah, and, and, and now that we hit the 150 mark, uh, we're switching to Android phones. Yeah, so we're going to toss it. We're, we're, so you're less of an Apple fanboy. I'm more... Uh, you know, I was a like I'm I'm an Apple buyer, not necessarily an Apple enthusiast, but I'm planning on going all Android and, and all, uh, I, you know, using Windows 10 exclusively from now on. Yeah, you're you're like you have an, a new brand new uh, MacBook Pro, but you're re- you're gonna just oh, I'm on Facebook Marketplace selling it. You're selling it. You're gonna buy a Dell. Yeah, exactly. Like I want a Pentium like two thirty three or three thirty three. Nice thick Dell. Yeah, I want to use like a the second version of Word that I was exposed to. Not word perfect. Maybe get word perfect and Corel draw. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, or uh, Claris works. Yeah, no, that's Apple only. <laughs> no, it's not. No. Oh, okay. So just get that, bro. <laughs> yeah, because we had we had we had Claris works um, in high school on Windows machines because we definitely did not have Mac machines in high school. Oh, we had we had Macs in high school, but uh, it was nineteen 
90 and we had uh, the 1984 Mac. Oh, the iconic one. Yeah. Still, they're still great. I love those things. How the money have fallen. So, Angela, you're going to believe in every single conspiracy theory, like here on out for the next 150. So, whatever I throw at you, you readily agree with. You'll even hypothesize like alternate versions of that that are even more extreme to what I have to present. Yeah, we have to wear reverse masks now. Oh, I'm totally down for that. Funnels. I... We're going to wear funnels now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, perfect. Yeah. Forget the tinfoil hat. I want the tinfoil suit. Yeah, perfect. With the, with the cone head that is like sort of like intercepting and receiving information, right? So, like it, it opens up at the top. And, and that's you're giving out information too. Yeah, exactly. Only accurate information given to Facebook. As always, you can reach us over on Twitter at double underscore density. Of course, apparently I'll be the only person checking that account because you probably don't remember how to, Angelo. Also on Instagram over at double density podcast where I've been uh, posting more things, not you, but that's fine. Also, you can head over to doubledensity.net to find all the different information all about us, how you can uh, follow us, and also all the different podcasting platforms that we're on as well as every uh, new episode releasing every second wednesday right now though that might change the future we might release every week who knows anymore I the next know. 150 is a bold sort of like new frontier for us to sort of venture into yeah we're not beholden to uh, to advertisers or anything like that we can do whatever we want yeah exactly let's go muddy up our actually like show's identity like i'm gonna go change the uh the bio on twitter perfect change it to it's a paranormal and tech podcast instead of tech and paranormal <laughs> yeah exactly All right, everyone, tune in next episode as we figure out which image board Angelo plans on visiting next. See you, Angelo. See you, Brian.